This is Jen Jet Barrett, and you are listening to the Go and See podcast, a podcast miniseries that runs alongside six weeks of video content that is designed to help you take inventory of your spiritual and emotional health. Over the next few weeks, listen in on conversations with some of my very dear friends. We all share a hope to see this generation of men and women walk in greater freedom and faithfulness as we co-labor together for the kingdom. You know, it is a process and you're going to have to give yourself a lot of grace and you're going to have to be patient with yourself. The best thing that we can do with all of this stuff, our thoughts, our emotions, these once we start to uncover these things that we're believing that are not true, the best thing that we can do is just take them to Jesus and say, I need your help with this. Like, God, help me to believe what's true and that God will, if you do this work, he will be faithful to you in this and he will bring the freedom and the healing that you need because we know we know that's true because of what he says. In this episode, I geek out a little bit with my friend Cassie on the science behind how God made our brains to process emotions and thoughts. We also talk about practical ways to process emotions in order to get us to truth and tips on managing anxiety. So let's go and see. I am so excited to have my friend Cassie Kerrigan on the podcast today. We, I think we have known each other for close to 20 years. She is a dear friend and we have linked arms um, for many years doing ministry and we, we share this heart and desire for people to walk in more freedom. And so I have invited her on this episode today to talk about leveraging our emotions. Thank you for being here with us. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I am so happy to be here. I love having these conversations. It is a joy and an honor to get to be here and have this conversation. I am in Colorado Springs. I'm originally from Texas, so I will, I will always claim Texas, but I am in Colorado Springs because my husband is in the Air Force. And I am a mental health therapist, a licensed professional counselor in LPC. And I do a lot of different things. I do EMDR. I'm trauma certified. I do marriage therapy. I have my hand in a lot of different areas, but I love the work that I get to do. Um, It is a humbling and honoring thing to walk alongside people in their journey to gaining overall health and to be invited into spaces that maybe they have not ever invited anyone into. It is a joy and an honor and something that I value. Uh, My husband's name is Jeff, and we have four kids. We only have two that are living, um, and their names are Adley and Riker. Adley's four, and Riker's almost three. Um, Yeah, they are really cute, really cute. (laughs) You might hear them stomping around upstairs. Um, But in 2018, we lost a daughter at 21 weeks. Her name is Radiance due to premature labor. And in September 2019, we lost our son, Caleb. Uh, He was full term, but he had a super rare lung disease that none of us knew about until the day before he died. So we are walking a hard journey of grief um, and sadness due to these losses. And, you know, this is something that I'm learning about how do I keep these children of mine that I don't get to raise or have with me here? How do I keep them a part of our family's story? And so I'm learning 
you know, and I think it will be a, a long process of learning, but learning how to do that. And you do it so well. I've really watched you do that. Mm. You do it so well. And I mean, I think that this work is so important because um, we will face seasons that are really, really hard and that threaten to convince us um, of things that are not true. And you and I have had so many conversations around that. I hope that we get to that a little bit later, um, just how your grief has impacted um, your thoughts and beliefs. I'd love to come back around to that. Uh, And you mentioned this a little bit too in explaining the work that you do, that it is work. It is a process and something that you have taught me that has um, been encouraging to me is, is that as we do the hard work of learning how to leverage our emotions to bring us back to truth, that it's kind of like working a muscle, that we gain muscle memory and um, and there is actually science behind that that I would love for you to, to talk about because it is, it's really fascinating what you've taught me about the science behind our emotions and thoughts. Yeah. And, you know, the science behind this and, you know, there is a lot of science about what I'm about to say, but just to give you a visual, right? The reason why this work is so important is because if we do not process what we're thinking, process our emotions, because we all have them, whether we like that or not, they will chase us down eventually and tackle us and beat us up. And they're not doing that to be mean, but they're doing that because that's the way our brain works. Our brains like to be integrated. And when we're not processing our emotions and embracing them and understanding what we're thinking, then our brains live in a state of disintegration and our brains do not like that. God did not create them like that. And so that's why they will chase us down eventually. And so it's so important that we lean into them and embrace them and understand them. To get a little bit more into the science of it is God made our brains in a way that we can make choices, choose to think a certain way, and that will actually change the makeup of our brain. You know, we call this term neuroplasticity and neuroplasticity, you know, means that the brain can change. It's malleable, it's adaptable, and it can change depending on how we are thinking. And when we have a thought, we, a neuropathway is created. You know, we have these neurons, we have receptors and a neuropathway is created. And so if I'm thinking something that is untrue, unhealthy, negative, then that's going to create a negative neural pathway. And if I think it again, that's going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. And that our brains don't like that. They're actually, there's pictures to show that even when that happens, there's kind of like a dark spot on your brain even. And the cool thing is about neuroplasticity is that if we start to, if we think a thought that is true, that creates a neural pathway. And if we think it again, it creates another neural pathway, and that starts to get stronger and stronger and stronger. And when we're not thinking the negative thoughts, that starts that neural pathway gets weaker and weaker and weaker. You know that we have this ability to choose what we put into our brains. So think about we can, if we wire in things that are unhealthy, things that are untrue, lies. You know. B- we can also have the option to wire in truth and wire in things that are good and right and healthy. And that allows us to then wire out what's untrue. So we have this option to help 
our brains work in the best way possible. And I love what you've said before. You've said even when we don't feel it, we choose to believe it. And so speak to the person who's like, I just don't, I can't do this. Like I can't, I know what you're saying. I know I need to think on truth, but I just don't feel that that is true. Like what God says of me is true. Or Yeah. You know, I tell clients all the time and I tell myself this all the time too, that even if I don't feel it and I want you to think it because, you know, our brains will act like you're thinking it. It will take it as a neural pathway, even though your heart is not feeling it. And so it will still create this healthy, true neural pathway in your brain. And then so if we can do that, even if we don't feel it, if we can do it over and over again, eventually we'll strengthen that neural pathway. And I would say that, you know, once that neural pathway gets stronger over time, it's going to help us with the feeling part, the feeling that we know that that's true. Like not, not only do I know it's true, but now I'm feeling it's true. And I think that, that helps us get to the place where we feel it's true. And we talked about the beliefs train in the video a little bit, but you do an amazing job of, and that's kind of what you're talking about is the order of beliefs versus our emotions and how we sometimes get that out of order. Yeah. So, you know, ideally our brains work the healthiest when we let our beliefs are you know, thoughts, cognitions, our core beliefs, when we let that be that engine of our train and that engine is what's pulling us. That is what's driving us. It's getting us along our journey in life. And then from there, we have our emotions. So our core beliefs affect what we feel, how we feel, and then what we believe and how we feel that affects our actions. I would say majority of us, when we are operating in an unhealthy manner, what typically happens is is that that emotions tries to take over the engine and tries to be the one that pulls our train and then the beliefs go into that second cart. And when that happens, that has a tendency to cause us to believe things that are untrue. More likely than if it was the other way around, the beliefs in the engine. And I'll give you an example of that. And this is a really easy example. Maybe I forgot I had a meeting at work. You know, I just didn't put it on my calendar. So I was a no show, right? So maybe I, that caused me to feel embarrassed, which I think is really a really valid feeling, right? I think anybody might feel embarrassed about that. But when those emotions are leading the train, what could easily happen is go, well, I feel embarrassed. I must be an idiot, right? And so I'm letting that emotion lead that train, that emotion of feeling embarrassment. And I'm letting that lead me to this belief that I am an idiot, which I think if we asked any of you, is that true? You would all say, no, of course not. Just because you feel embarrassed, that doesn't mean you're an actual idiot. And so... What we need to do is we need to feel the emotion of being embarrassed because that's a valid emotion and nobody can look at you and say, well, you shouldn't feel that way because you missed your meeting because it's too late. You've already felt that way. But what we need to do is process that emotion, let ourselves feel it so that we can, again, process it and understand it 
And that will allow us to then go, okay, so from this emotion, what am I going to choose to believe? That I'm an idiot or that, no, this doesn't mean I'm an idiot. I just need to remember to put these things in my calendar so I don't miss that meeting again. And so that that's a way to feel the emotion, but not let it let it lead us to believe something that's not true. And I love this. I love that you gave these examples. And I I want to refer back to the video we talked about in Genesis. There are three things that God gave us um, back in Genesis. He gave us esteem and affection, responsibility and control, and he gave us security and survival. And the enemy, as we know, um, he comes in to try to steal all of those things from us. And you talk about you know, the enemy comes in and distorts what is true, just twists it a little bit and distorts what is true. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to to kind of walk through three examples of, like you did this one with, you know, the embarrassment, but three examples in light of those three things where, you know, the enemy comes in and tries to distort what is true and then practically walking out what that would look like as we do the work of discovering what it is understanding what it is and healing what it is. Yeah. So the first, that first category, the esteem and affection, you know, being kind of this esteem, my, my worth, who I am. An example that I would say a lot of people have felt at some point in time is this idea that I am a disappointment. And this could be true for so many reasons, but let's just say maybe you have felt that way because maybe your parents wanted you as a child to be someone and you just were not that person, right? So this, you kind of have embraced and internalized this idea because of that experience with your parents and not being who they wanted you to be. You have internalized that as I am a disappointment. And I think, right, feeling like a disappointment in that scenario is extremely valid. And of course, I think anyone would feel that. But the question is, is that actually true, right? And am I going to embrace that as true for the rest of my life? And so the question is, you know, first of all, we have to identify that that's what we believe. And then we have to ask ourselves, what what would we rather believe instead? And, you know, with this example, maybe believing I am okay just the way I am. Instead of believing I'm in disappointment, I would believe I am okay just the way that I am. And I think because we are followers of Christ, right? We take that I am okay just the way that I am. We know that to be true, right? Not because we're perfect, right? But that even in our sin, Jesus still looked at us and said, you are my child and I am going to love you and sacrifice for you so that you can be with me, right? Um, If we were fully a disappointment to him, he would not have died for us, right? Did we need him to die for us because we're sinners and we fall short? Absolutely. But in the end, that did not, even though that we were sinners, that did not keep Jesus from saving us. And I love this example because we even see in the gospels that Jesus disappointed people. Like we will disappoint people, but like you're saying, it does not mean we are a disappointment. And I think we sit in the tension of that over and over in life. And I think some of us stop short of saying, I will disappoint people. And and people will say to us, you're not a disappointment. You're not a disappointment. And no, we we are not in and of ourselves a disappointment, but we will disappoint people. 
And so I love that that was an example you used for esteem. Okay, so what would you say to the person who grew up and either consciously or unconsciously were told, whether it was like by parents or church or community, that you can't trust your feelings and emotions and they're not reliable? Because I think for a lot of us, me included, um, my emotions made my, you know, family unit uncomfortable or, you know, I just remember me having emotions made people uncomfortable. What would you say to that, to that person? You know, I would say emotions, we have to remind ourselves, they are not inherently evil. (laughs) They are not a bad thing. And we have them. And so because we have them, all of us, we need to figure out how to interact with them and do it in a way that is healthy because that is absolutely possible. And even for those emotions we like to feel, you know, an example being joy, we don't know what joy feels like if we don't know what fat sadness feels right. like. And so even that is so important. And I think even those emotions that we don't like to feel, we can learn a lot from those things. And God can teach us a lot through that and can make us more like himself through that. You know, I think if we do this work and this process in a healthy way, I definitely think emotions can help lead us to what's true. But I do not think emotions equal truth, right? And I'm talking like big T truth. Like we know what truth is. It's Jesus and it's his words. And that is truth always, no matter what we're feeling or not feeling, right? right? That truth does not change. And that's why emotions don't equal truth. But I do think emotions can lead us to that big T truth. Again, if we do this work in a healthy way. That's good. So I love the example you used for the esteem. Give us an example of this idea of like responsibility and control. What would that look like? So one of uh, one that is, you know, I think we can all relate to, I did something wrong because we have all done something wrong in our lives and we will all do something wrong again in our lives. And so because of that, it's like, okay, that is actually true, right? I did something wrong. That is actually true. It's how we move forward with that that is going to either be healthy for us or unhealthy. So if I did something wrong, again, maybe I, you know, yelled at my kids and got really impatient and maybe even threw something against the wall, you know? And so clearly, I think in that situation, I've done something wrong. If I move forward, with that, I did something wrong for the next 10 years, most likely it's going to cause me to start believing I'm a bad mother, you know, and that's a a different, you know, maybe unhealthy, untrue thing. And and so instead of believing I did something wrong, it is important for us to, to recognize I did something wrong. And so now I want to learn from that. And I can learn from that. Like I actually can learn from what I did you know, and move forward. And so, you know, when we do that, again, we can do that with Jesus because we can go to Jesus. We can confess our sin. We can ask for his forgiveness. We know that he is faithful and just to forgive. And we know that there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And so we, we are still righteous before God because of Jesus. And so that is the mentality, the focus, the thought, the belief that I want to move forward with 
instead of I did something wrong, I did something wrong. And that is my focus. And that is my thought. And that's what I'm repeating to myself over and over and over again, because Satan will use that, right? To cause more lies. He will use that to keep us from being who we were meant to be in Christ. And this is a good example because I think this is where shame takes a hold, like in this yes. in this category. And we stay, I was talking to someone the other day and I realized what I could visually see is they had made mistakes in their past. They believed that they were the mistakes of their past, that they are the mistake, that they are bad. And yet here they are, a believer in Christ with freedom you know, walking in freedom, unchained ahead of them. But they it's that visual of being in a jail cell with the, the door unlocked and open. And she yep. was just sitting in there because she believed mm-hmm. it was this, it was the shame that was keeping her in the cell, believing that she is bad. Although Christ had come to forgive her and, and invite her into freedom with him. And and that's what I see in this category is where those lies keep us in that cell. And, you know, in light of Jesus, right, there is a reality, right, that we are sinners and that we needed him, you know. But because of what he's done, we can proclaim these good and true things over us through Jesus. And and that's, I think, what he wants for us, right? And that's what he asks, you know, when he says, I came to give you abundant life, to live in this, to be free, like I have come to set you free. And, you know, and I think that we have to believe what he says is true about us. Continue to focus on, oh, I'm a sinner. That's what happened. And I need, and again, that is true, right? Because we needed Jesus. But now that Jesus has come to rest and embrace that truth, what he has done for us. And I, I know where I'm camping out on this, this shame thing, but I think I asked, you know, my friend, what I could tell was she felt deserving of the shame almost. It was almost like yep. going back to what you said, even when we don't feel it, we choose to believe it, read it, like recite it over and over again because it rewires that part of our brain. And God's word has the power to do that. I think that's what we fail to remember sometimes too, is God's word comes with power to do that work. Because it's just full of truth, (laughs) right? And we know that the truth will set us free. Yeah. So this last one, security and survival. Give us an example of that one. So a a lot of times um, in this, right, this, this desire to be safe, to be secure. You know, I think one that probably a lot of us could relate to is this idea of I cannot trust anyone, right? Mm-hmm. And there are there are probably, if you feel that way or believe that, there are probably really good reasons that, it, that you know, why you believe that. Whether that's people, multiple people in your life have betrayed you in your family, in a relationship, whatever that might look like. But again, if I live with that belief my whole life, I cannot trust anyone. Most likely I will not have healthy relationships. And and that will be detrimental to my being because we were created to have relationships. And so again, instead of believing that, right, instead we could even believe, again, it's a perspective shift. I can choose 
whom I'm going to trust. With that, you know, of course, I think always for us, we are working on and fighting to trust Jesus, right? Even when we feel like maybe he's betrayed us. I have felt that way in my own life and losing my children, you know, of like, where were you? Like, are you sure? Right. And so I, I am working on that and knowing that he is trustworthy, knowing that I do trust him, but you know, sometimes with these beliefs, you know, because of my experience that feel differently, you know, if this is you, it's important to walk through all of those relationships that where you have felt betrayed to understand what happened, to process through that, to try to gain healing from that. That's really important work to do. And then from there to say, okay, you know, do I trust Jesus? Why or why not? And that, and I get a choice right in that if I'm going to trust him, right? Just I, this idea of I can choose whom I trust. And then to take that further into people is that, again, you get to decide whom you're going to trust. And there might be people who are not trustworthy. I mean, yeah. I think sometimes for me, I am not, tr- like maybe there's been times in my life where I am not trustworthy, right? And that doesn't mean that person is forever flawed, right? But maybe right now they're not very trustworthy, but maybe in another season they would be, or maybe they'll change, right? And so we we have this ability to choose whom we're going to trust and don't have to live in this state of, I can't trust anyone forever because of all these betrayed relationships that I have experienced. That's so good. And I would love just some really maybe even practical things. I know part of what happens is we have to sit in this tension of holding space and validating. Like when we're inside community and, and we're with someone, with a friend, it's, it's holding space and validating those emotions and also speaking truth and holding them accountable to not let those emotions be the engine of what is true. So do you have some really practical things we could take away as far as how to do this well inside community? Yeah. Um, you know, and I think it's a mindset. If a friend comes to me, and I would say this is really good, helpful for marriages too, um, you know, any type of relationship, friendship, romantic, and says, hey, when you did this thing, it made me feel you don't value me because you didn't listen to me. What could happen there is the, the friend could go, well, wait a second. In their head, they're thinking, I value you so much. Right. And so ultimately they just immediately say, well, you shouldn't feel that way. Right. Mm -hmm. Because they're like, they know in their bones that they value this person. And then that person that, you know, is sitting there who just shared their heart is like, well, I do feel that way. Right. Like, again, it's already too late. Like I've already felt not valued. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, but what that friend could say in that moment, go, okay, I am so sorry I made you feel like you're not valued. That's never something that I'd want to do. You know, could you explain to me more of, you know, what I did that made you feel not valued, right? And so, and then that friend can say, reaffirm the truth of like, hey, this, these are all the reasons why I do value you. And my action, my intention was never to not make you feel valued. I understand why you feel that way, but know that I don't see you in a way that's not valuable. When I look at you, I see you as extremely valuable. 
and and I don't want to do things that make you feel differently. And there, I mean, there is a humility that comes with that. There is a heart yes. that is teachable in that because, because like you said, the other person has to receive, hey, I, I do things, whether I intended to or not, that make you feel um, not loved and not valued. One thing that I have encountered, and I think you could probably speak to this as a counselor, but because anxiety, even low-grade anxiety, is so common among people, they tend to accept this is just how it is. Like, this is always how I will feel. This is normal. Everyone feels this level of anxiety. You've got some amazing tips for people just in their day when they recognize anxiety rising to kind of work through that? You know, I would say that, you know, all of us carry around a low grade anxiety. And, you know, I think we were made like that because that is helpful for us at times, right? For instance, let's say a bear walked into my room right now. You know, I'm in Colorado, so it's not it did too happen crazy. to one of our friends <laughs> that lives in Colorado. The bear came to her kitchen. Yes. Right. It is possible. It, right. And so if that were to happen, I sure hope I feel some anxiety. So I will act and remain safe, right? And if I didn't have that anxiety, then I would not be as safe, right? Because it wouldn't lead me to action, right? And so I think we ha- we are made like this. And when it is healthy like that, that's that's good for us. And But when it is not healthy, I, I define anxiety as this future, a fear of the future unknown. Mm. You know, other people are going to define it differently, but that's how I define it. And so, you know, when we start to feel that low-grade anxiety, I think it's helpful for us to check into check in with ourselves, right? Especially because a lot of times you might feel that physiologically first, you know, through an increased heart rate, maybe sweating, uh, maybe shaking a little bit, muscle tension. All of those things are signs of how we carry anxiety in our body. And when we start to feel those things or we start to think it in our brain, it's important to ask ourselves, you know, why am I feeling anxious, right? That's always the first thing. Is it, is it something, again, a fear of some future unknown? Because it's future, we don't know what's going to happen. And so what we don't want to do, we don't want to create this false reality, right? Of like, okay, this is my fear that this thing in the future is going to go like this. And so I start to create this false reality. And then eventually, if I continue to do that, it's like I'm living in the present as if that unknown thing is actually true, right? This false reality is actually true. And then I start to live and embrace all that comes with that, the anxiety, you know, based off of a distortion of the truth. Because again, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. None of us, (laughs) you know? And so that's kind of big picture, um, but some really practical things that you could do in the moment is, you know, especially with this idea of fear of the future unknown, we create this false reality in our heads. It's really important that when we start to do that, we turn our attention to the present. So it's really important for us to stay in the present and to stay in the moment. And a really good tool for that, you know, we call these grounding techniques is to think of 
five things that you can see right now where you are, four things that you can touch, just, you know, wherever you are and touch them, see how they feel. Three things that you can hear, two things that you can smell, and then one thing that you can taste, even if you just have water with you to put it in your mouth, see, you know, what it, if is it cold, is it warm, all of that, what does it taste like? And, you know, you might not be able to think of two things that you can smell, but that's okay. Just by trying to, it accomplishes what it needs to in your brain to help you stay present, right? Because what that's doing is it's taking you out of this false reality in the future and it's bringing you to the present. That's so good. I've heard multiple people say that that has helped them tremendously when they do Mm. that. Um, There's one more that you do, this acronym practice. Tell us about that one. So the acronym is GLAD, G-L-A-D. You know, I would say this is good to do for anxiety. Um, It's really good to do for depression too. And a lot of times we see anxiety and depression can really coexist a lot of times, like clinical anxiety. And so this is good. I think this is good practice for all of us, no matter what. The G stands for to think of something you were grateful for today. So most of the time you would do this kind of later in the day. And again, that can be anything, anything that you are grateful for. The L stands for something you learned today. It does not have to be a new physics problem. It might be, Uh, but it can also be, you know, I learned that I really don't like that Costco. I like the other Costco on the other side of town. You know, I mean, it can be anything. Um, And then the A stands for something you accomplished. Again, not like the Nobel Peace Prize, maybe, but probably not. But it could even... Yes, it could be, yeah, I took a shower today or I got out of bed today, right, for some people. And that's a huge accomplishment. And then the D stands for something you delighted in. So something that you enjoyed, something that brought you joy. And I love this because it goes back to what you said earlier is this rewiring of our brain. Yes. It helps in scientifically in the rewiring of our brain. Well, if you could close us out and encourage um, our listeners um, who – they just feel overwhelmed by the work we're inviting them to do. <laughs> um, yes. How would you encourage them um, based on just what you have seen, not just professionally in your life as a counselor, but even personally in your life, you have seen the fruit of this work. And so mm. how would you leave us with some encouragement? You know, I, I first would say this is, you know, it is a process and you're going to have to give yourself a lot of grace and you're going to have to be patient with yourself. You're going to need to not rush the process, right? I think all of us, right? Like we just want it to happen overnight and knowing that it's okay that it doesn't happen overnight. And, you know, the best thing that we can do with all of this stuff, our thoughts, our emotions, these, once we start to uncover these things that we're believing that are not true, the best thing that we can do is just take them to Jesus and say, I need your help with this. Like, God, help me to believe what's true, right? And just ask, right? Really simple prayers. Help me to understand my emotions, right? Help me to not be afraid of my emotions so much can happen in that. And to encourage you, you will have this initial kind of push with this work if you've never done it. And it will be a lot. 
But once you get through that initial push, you will continue to do the work throughout the rest of your life because I think this is, you know, work that we will all be doing because new lies come up because of our experiences, life circumstances, potentially new emotions, right, come up. But once you have that initial push, then you're going to be able to do it. It's going to be familiar and you're just going to naturally enter into that process. And so just to encourage you that it will not feel this overwhelming forever and that God will, if you do this work, he will be faithful to you in this and he will bring the freedom and the healing that you need because we know, we know that's true because of what he says. To watch the videos we mentioned in this episode, visit harvestfayetteville.org. Join us next week as we talk about how our family of origin shapes our beliefs and values. And also, we'll talk about the different seasons of our faith, getting stuck, and how to grow closer to the Lord through each one.